Unleavened Bread Ministries presents From your hands, your feet, your side Unleavened Bread Bible Studies with David Eels Can quench my thirsting soul Purest water make me whole Let your streams of mercy flow Oh Jesus, I trust in you Greetings, saints. Thank you for joining us today for the Unleavened Bread Bible Study. Father, in the name of Jesus, please bless us today. Give us discernment, understanding of things to come so we can cooperate with you. For how can two walk together except they be agreed? So thank you, Father, for doing that in Jesus' name. Okay, we're going to study uh, Man-Child Reformers Deliver the Chosen. And the first revelation I want to share with you was given to Isaac Payne, uh, 4.24.23. And he called it, Felling the Idolatry of the Harlot. Amen. I believe Isaac in this dream is representing the promised seed of Jesus uh, in the man-child reformers who will come to set his elect free from apostate Christianity. Thank you, Father, just as Jesus did. Amen. So Isaac said, In this dream, uh, it was night outside, and I was surrounded by wilderness. Hmm. I believe that's representing the darkness of uh, tribulation. Um, I was standing in a house on top of a mound near the embankment. And I believe this is representing the hill of Zion, the bride. There was a muddy pit below that was surrounded on all sides by this embankment, and it looked like an empty lake bed. Uh, The muddy pit represents the muddy waters and doctrines of the false shepherds in the apostate religious system. He said, I heard a commotion, and I saw two women that were arguing. Well, I believe, as we will see, that those who are elect of God in the religious apostate system will fall out of agreement with the harlot. It's just as they did in Jesus' day. One of the women was my Aunt Stacy, and the other was a woman from my school days, that had a bad reputation. (laughs) Uh, In this dream, he says, uh, she represents the harlot apostate church. The name Stacy means resurrection and fruitful. So there's the two women right there. He says, I believe Stacy represents those who will be truly resurrected through repentance into the true image of Christ as they come out of apostasy. Yes, indeed. He said the harlot and uh, my Aunt Aunt Stacy were arguing outside the house on top of the mound. Well, those in apostasy are outside of the house on Mount Zion, the bride. And... um, This is where the argument is taking place. 
of course, the apostates always argue against the bride, but the bride has um, direction from the Lord, guidance from the Lord, up, upbringing from the Lord. My Aunt Stacy was mad and complaining to me about the harlot not being a team player and trying to keep the church in the pit, <laughs> as we will see. Well, I... He said, I believe that they were arguing about people being stuck in the bottom of this lake and not getting to the top of the embankment, which, as we've seen, is uh, represents Mount Zion, the bride. Our trip should be, let's go up to Zion. See, that's where we're going. That's the place of maturity and overcoming. At this point, the harlot jumped into the lake pit. The pit was muddy, filthy, and slippery. As, as false religion is. While uh, looking below, I saw many people who seemed that they were camped out and living in this pit. One was my uncle, who is married to my Aunt Stacy. His name is Virgil. Virgil means flourishing or staff bearer. I think he represents those who will learn after the first fruits to manifest the hundredfold fruit of Christ in them. Ezekiel um, 34, 17-24 says this, And as for you, O my flock, thus saith the Lord, Behold, I judge between sheep and sheep, the rams and the he-goats, Seemeth it a small thing unto you to have fed upon the good pasture, but you must tread down with your feet the residue of your pasture? And to have drunk uh, of the clear waters, but you must foul the residue with your feet? Meaning, of course, their actions and their lifestyle and the thing that they set a precedent for is corrupt. They read the true word, but they walk corruptly. That doesn't mean they understand the true word. It just means they read it. And as for my sheep, they eat that which you have trodden with your feet. And they drink that which you have fouled with your feet. In other words, if it's okay for the pastor, certainly it's okay for us. You know, we should follow in his steps, right? No. Therefore, thus saith the Lord unto them. Behold, I, even I, will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep. That's those that have more flesh and those that have less flesh. <laughs> because you thrust with the side and with the shoulder and push all the disease with your horns till you have scattered them abroad. Therefore will I save my flock, and they shall be... Uh, no more be a prey, and I will judge between sheep and sheep. And I will set up one shepherd over them, and he shall feed them, even my servant David. And that's the man-child ministry coming right there. He shall feed them, and he shall be uh, their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David, prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken it. Well, David was king over and on Mount Zion. And uh, this is the type uh, that's being fulfilled in these coming days, the restoration of the kingdom. It seemed that these people were looking for a way out of the pit. 
However, the harlot was dancing around, uh, being ob- obnoxious and distracting everyone from climbing out. The harlot was uh, preventing the people living in this pit from coming together in unity to find a way out. Hmm. Well, we thought of um, Psalm 40, 1 and 2. It says, A psalm of David, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay. And he set my feet on a rock and established my goings. Amen. You can't lead people where you haven't been, right? Kind of like Moses went through the wilderness and then went back for the people of God to bring them through the wilderness, right? He knew the way. Okay. There are people that know the way. And there's a lot of people over God's people that don't know the way, and they're going to find that out. Uh, Ephesians four eleven through 13. And he gave some to be apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Well, amen. And this is the opposite of the Nicolaitan error that is in the churches that God said he hates so much. Um, they put a priesthood over the people of God, which is illegal, you know. Instead, God chooses um, this uh, company of experts here. And they are for the perfecting of the saints unto the work of ministering, unto the building up. Um, coming up out of the pit (laughs) unto the building up of the body of Christ till we all attain unto the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a full-grown man unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So we are to be growing up into His image. Some people say it's impossible. Not not when he's got the power and he's bringing it to pass and it, for everyone that believes it. All right? It's just, we have to believe what the Bible says over and above what the dead religions say. There was much commotion, confusion, distraction, and desperation in the pit, and the culprit was the harlot's distractions and her dancing around uh, the masses in the pit. Well, the harlot's witchcraft keeps her victims in confusion. They have to do a lot of dancing around to keep their doctrine appear plausible because any kind of a decent examination with the Scriptures proves it's phony. So they do a lot of dancing around like that. While standing on the embankment, I looked to the left and noticed a large fir tree standing on the west side of the embankment. The fir tree represents idolatry, yes, and in the Scriptures, too. This represents the idolatry of the harlot and the masses that have been deceived, yes. Now, God told Gideon that he would save Israel by his hand, and his first order to him included cutting down the Asherah, which was a fir tree. Mm Mm-hmm. Judges 6 and 25. And it came to pass the same night that the Lord said unto him, Take thy father's bullock, even the second bullock, seven years old, and throw down the altar of Baal, which is the false Jesus, that thy father hath, and cut down the Asherah that is beside it. Hmm. 
and also Jeremiah 10, 2-8. Thus saith the Lord, Learn not the way of the nations, and be not dismayed at the signs of heaven, for the nations are dismayed at them. For the customs of the people are vanity, for one cutteth a tree out of the forest, uh, the work of the hands of the workmen with the axe. They deck it with silver and with gold, and they fashion it with nails and with hammers. All this was passed down to us through one of the mother, well, the mother harlot, let me say, of a lot of the religions today. Okay, and uh, they're still celebrating this foolishness today. They fasten it with nails and with hammers that it move not. They are like a palm tree of turned work. Yes, they look like a perfect tree, but they're just not. <laughs> they're perfect idolatry. And speak not. They must needs be born because they cannot go. Be not afraid of them, for they cannot do evil, neither is it in them to do good. There is none like unto thee, O Lord. Thou art great, and thy name is great in might. Who should not fear thee, O king of the nations? For to thee doth it appertain. For as much as among all the wise men of the nations, and in all their royal estate, there is none like unto thee. Yes, so we need to be looking for, at the Lord, and his, his word re, reveals him to us. Not all this garbage that was passed down to us from the mother harlot through the daughter harlots, right? But they are together brutish and foolish, and the instruction of idols, it is but a stock. Yep, it's a piece of wood. It seemed like the tree was uh, growing on the west side on top of a dam. The west side represents the left. Uh, the sun, S-U-N slash S-O-N, sets in the west. Thus the tree of idolatry was preventing the light of the sun, S-U-N slash S-O-N, from resting on the people in the pit. I believe the dam is a play on word damned. And also those in the pit, when the dam is broken, will be flooded with God's judgments upon the world. In other words, hell on earth. Right? So this tree cast quite a bit of shade on the people that were in the pit, representing blocking the sun, S-U-N slash S-O-N. Um, also, the shade represents spiritual darkness of idolatry. Yes, indeed. And um, I thought of John 1, 1 through 13. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that hath been made. In Him was the life, and the life was the light of men. You know what the light is? The light is the Word of God, right? This is the life of men. And we know the word says, the sum of thy word is truth. You can't pick and choose verses. It has to all fit together. And the light shineth in the darkness, 
and the darkness, that is, of the harlot, apprehended it not. In verse 9, there was, the, there was the true light, even the light which lighteth every man coming into the world. Well, how could that be? Well, that's because your conscience was given to you as a light. It was given to every man, but was defiled. People immediately, because of the flesh, went against their conscience and defiled it. And it got quieter and quieter and quieter, right? Verse 10, He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and they that were his own received him not. Well, we know that was true about Jesus, and it's still true about Jesus today. Because he that receiveth you receiveth me, he said. And they don't receive those who come into his image. But as many as receive him, to them gave he the right to become children of God, even to them that believe on his name. That's his nature, character, and authority. That's what the word name in the New Testament means. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Amen. You know, they claim some people are born again just because they shake a preacher's hand or they, um, you know, make one confession of faith and continue on with their old slimy life. Well, no, born of God is born of God. The baby looks like the father. <laughs> Suddenly, the tree just fell over on top of the people. Hmm. However, the tree was in everyone's way and blocking out even more sunlight. Of course, idolatry blocks us from seeing the light and hearing clearly from the Lord. And when we have idols in our hearts, it blocks true relationship with the Lord. The tree was resting on a utility all-terrain vehicle. Hmm representing their journey through the wilderness tribulation. However, they don't think they're going to go there. <laughs> there was still much commotion and desperation in the pit. I believe the utility all-terrain vehicle represents the people's idolatry with their own works of self-justification. And that's, of course, through the doctrines of men. You know, you're because you believe this, you're okay. You're one of us, right? That's bad. <laughs> Thus preventing them from having the grace of God. This is true. And he gives Galatians 5, 1 through 4. For freedom did Christ set us free. Stand fast, therefore, and be not entangled again in a yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if you receive circumcision... Or you could put a lot of other things in there, but in this one in particular. If you receive circumcision, Christ will profit you nothing. Yea, I testify again to every man that receiveth circumcision that he's a debtor to do the whole law. See, some people are justified by other parts of the law. We do this, so we're, we're the group, you know, we're the inner insiders, you know. He said, you're severed from Christ. You would be justified by the law. You are fallen away from grace. 
And I want to say that this this is this includes the laws of men, the rules and regulations of religion. Amen. At this point, I noticed my dad was standing next to me, uh, representing the Heavenly Father. My dad was wearing a red hat that he always wore while I was growing up. In real life, my dad passed away in 2005. However, for years and years, he wore a red hat that said, Jesus saves. In the dream, I didn't see the words, but I remember the red hat, and I actually saved that hat and still have it today. I believe my dad in this dream represents my Heavenly Father. Yes, indeed. My dad told me we could cut that fir tree up with the chainsaw. (laughs) Sounds familiar? That we had. At first, I was reluctant, not because I didn't want to use the chainsaw and uh, cut up the tree, but it was because I didn't want all the attention and everyone watching me, uh, but I knew I was given the tool to do the job. Well, Remember that Gideon cut down the fir tree at nighttime. He didn't want to be seen. (laughs) Uh, He was found out, though, and he had to confess, right? Uh, I was in agreement with my dad and said, Bring me the steel chainsaw. My dad handed me a T-handle steel MS-379. The T-handle means top handle in the physical for the chainsaw. However, uh, spiritually, it represents the cross that we lay hold on and bear. And he gives Luke fourteen twenty seven: Whosoever doth not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. My dad's occupation was a tree trimmer. He owned his own business for many years, cutting down trees. Well, that reminds us of um, John 15, 1 through 2. And uh, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh it away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he cleanseth it, that it may bear more fruit. And uh, Luke 13 and 7 says, And he said unto the vine dresser, Behold, these three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why doth it cumber the ground? Hmm. And he said, Steel is a play on words for steel, S-T-E-E-L. And I think it represents um, Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen, Iron sharpeneth iron. So a man, or the son of man, Jesus, sharpeneth the countenance, or the image of Christ, of his friend. So this is saying that our friend, Jesus, the Word made flesh, sharpens us. Amen. And also the chainsaw represents the sword of the word that we use to fell idolatrous doctrines that keep people 
uh, in apostasy. Amen. Okay, John 1 and 14 says this, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory as the glory of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John 15 and 15 says, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends. Well, referring to Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen above, right? For all things that I heard from my Father I have made known unto you. Uh, and he says, all steel brand chainsaw have a model number, for example, MS, and uh, numbers afterward. The numbers that correspond after the MS are indicative of the output horsepower. To calculate the output horsepower, you would divide the model number by 100. I believe the hundred represents the hundredfold output power of Christ in you. However, the model number of this chainsaw that my Heavenly Father gave me was 379. Mariana told me that this might represent chapter 37 and verse 9. She said this without even looking into it. And I believe the Lord was speaking through her. Psalm 37 and 9. For evildoers shall be cut off. Remember that. You're going to hear a lot of it. But those that wait for the Lord, they shall inherit the land. Yes, indeed. Evildoers will be cut off. What a perfectly constructed verse that Father put together. All of Psalm 37 is an awesome promise of preservation of his people from idolatry of the enemy and the judgment that is coming upon the world. So listen to it. Psalm 37, 1-40 Fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against them that work unrighteousness, for they shall soon be cut down, there it is, like the grass, and wither as the green herb, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land. And the land, of course, is the land of promise. And the promises, when you stand on those promises, you get them, right? And you're walking holy when you're standing on those promises. So uh, dwell in the land of promise. And feed on his faithfulness. Delight thyself in the Lord, and he will give thee the desires of thy heart. Amen. Commit thy way unto the Lord, trust also in him, and he will bring it to pass. He will make thy righteousness to go forth as the light, and thy justice as the noonday. Rest in the Lord, and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. Cease from anger, forsake wrath, fret not thyself, it tends only to evil doing, for evil doers will be cut off. There it is again. But those that wait for the Lord 
they shall inherit the land. For yet a little while, and the wicked shall not be, because they were cut off. Yea, thou shalt diligently consider his place, and he shall not be. But the meek shall inherit the land, and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. The wicked plotteth against the just, and gnasheth upon him with his teeth. The Lord will laugh at him, for he seeth that his day is coming. The wicked have drawn out the sword, and have bent their bow, to cast down the poor and the needy, to slay such as are upright in the way. Their sword shall enter into their own heart, and their bows shall be broken. Better is a little that the righteous hath than the abundance of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholdeth the righteous. The Lord knoweth the days of the perfect, and their inheritance shall be forever. They shall not be put to shame in the time of evil. And in the days of famine they shall be satisfied. Good promise for the coming days, I tell you. But the wicked shall perish, and the enemies of the Lord shall be as the fat of lambs. They shall consume in smoke, and shall they consume away. Hmm. The wicked borroweth, and I might say often stealeth, and payeth not again, but the righteous dealeth graciously and giveth. For such as are blessed of him shall inherit the land, and they that are cursed of him shall be cut off. A man's goings are established of the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. I've been young, and now am old. Yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. All the day long he dealeth graciously and lendeth, and his seed is blessed. Depart from evil and do good, and dwell forevermore, for the Lord loveth justice, and forsaketh not his saints. They are preserved forever." but the seed of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell therein forever. The mouth of the righteous talketh of wisdom, and his tongue speaketh justice. The law of his God is in his heart. None of his steps shall slide. The wicked watcheth the righteous and seeketh to slay him. The Lord will not leave him in his hand, nor condemn him when he is judged. Wait for the Lord, and keep his way, and he will exalt thee to inherit the land. And when the wicked are cut off, thou shalt see it. I have seen the wicked in great power, and spreading himself like a green tree in its native soil. Yes, we've been seeing that especially well in these last days, right? But one passeth by, and lo, he was not. Well, I believe it's coming to that time. Yes, indeed. 
And I want to say wickedness passes over all lines and all religions. So if you're, if you're uh, patriotic or if you're uh, prejudiced for one particular religion, just remember it's corrupt too. All of them in Jesus' day were corrupt. All of the religions, all of them. Yea, and, and the things that have been are the things that shall be. Yea, I sought him, but he could not be found. Mark the perfect man, and behold the upright, for there is a happy end to the man of peace. As for transgressors, they shall be destroyed together. The end of the wicked shall be, you guessed it, cut off. But the salvation of the righteous is of the Lord. He is their stronghold in the time of trouble. The Lord helpeth them and rescueth them. He rescueth them from the wicked and saveth them, because they have taken refuge in him. Amen. So let's get back to the dream here. I took the uh, chainsaw with me and began to walk down into the pit to cut this tree into pieces that was overshadowing the people. And again, I believe he represents the man-child ministry. That's what Jesus did. Jesus cut it to pieces too. (laughs) I pulled on the crankshaft of the chainsaw and it started right up. The people were watching me. And I remember thinking that this chainsaw didn't sound too aggressive. And I was a bit worried about the power of it to cut through a thick log. Granted, it's a fir tree, which is usually soft wood. However, this tree did not look soft. It wasn't a massive chainsaw, and the bar, I think, was around 14 inches. And he says the number 14 has meaning for deliverance and salvation. Also, in Matthew, there were there are 14 generations mentioned three times. Yeah, Matthew 1, 17. So, all the generations from Abraham unto David were 14 generations. And from David unto the carrying away to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the carrying away to Babylon unto the Christ, 14 generations. And we are the seed of Christ of the third, 14th generation. Amen. The crowd was watching me, and at this point I I wasn't shy. I began to cut the log, and the chainsaw just chewed the tree in pieces. Within a second or two, the chainsaw was slicing right through the large fir tree trunk. The chainsaw was so powerful that while I was slicing through the tree, I ended up slicing through the utility all-terrain vehicle's frame that the people had in the pit. (laughs) And uh, he said, this represents destroying the works of self-justification. Yeah. Well, their their self-justification of idolatry will not make it through the wilderness tribulation. Uh, by the all-terrain vehicle because it got, yeah, cut off. (laughs) So he went on to say, the steel MS-379 sliced right through the metal frame of the utility terrain vehicle. I was very impressed with his performance. And then I woke up. Well, 
Father is going to use his modern-day Josiah man-child reformers to tear down the idolatry of the modern religious apostate system. They don't reflect anything that the Scripture points out, and we never have a right to depart from the Scriptures, even when they say we have departed from the Scriptures. (laughs) Oh, that doesn't happen in these days. God won't do that today, and no, it's not that way today, and so on and so forth. Well, um, we're going to call this one, Don't Let the Apostates Distract You from Your Race. This was given to Claire Pinar, 4-29-23. During the day before this dream, I was being attacked on every front. The enemy seemed to walk with me throughout the day. And I, by the grace of God, chose to walk with Jesus instead. Some telltale things were happening, scenarios of impatience, frustration, poor behavior from my children due to self-righteousness and pride, and some interactions with people who have caused me great angst in the past. And I got through the gauntlet that the Lord had set before me. As Job was protected, so was I, and I had this dream to confirm it. The Lord will continue to send trials even when we've had huge deliverances in areas or we've overcome a specific thing for years. He does it to test us, refine us, and to keep us humble, lest we glory in ourselves and make void the sacrifice of Jesus. I dreamed I was at an international running race in a city like Washington, D.C., But it was at night. An international running race uh, represents the corporate body of Christ all around the world who are in a race to get out of the darkness of Washington, D.C., which represents apostate leadership. And uh, Hebrews 12 and 1 Therefore, let us also, seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. She said, Many of us were gathered together in very, in very small hotel rooms, and we were waiting to be called, called out. Yeah. Isaiah 5 and 8. Woe unto them that join house to house, that lay field to field, till there be no room, and you be made to dwell alone in the midst of the land. Yeah. Denominations are divisions. You know, you have to perform the way they want, or you can't be in one of their denominations. You can't are not allowed to grow at your own rate and read your Bible and come to more and more truth because they will tell you what the truth is and you better stick with it. <laughs> there were two events going on. In one event, we were waiting for David and Michael to fetch us. And uh, I believe this represents the man-child ministry is going to bring the church out of apostate leadership. 
and another event was partaking in the worldly events of running around the city on a running track in different age groups. Well, everyone in the apostate church system is running around in circles and will not arrive at the destination. You can't if you're running around in circles. And uh, the destination is Christ-likeness. And they don't believe that. David knocked on the door, and when I opened for him, he was wearing a red shirt. And Michael was behind him wearing a white shirt. Hmm. Rian said, representing the anointing of the blood of Christ on the man-child ministry and God's perfect works of faith and sanctification of the white shirt. Amen. They were encouraging some to wait it out, but they took me, put their hands on my shoulders, and said, you are coming with us now. So yes, there are some that are going to wait it out. They, their time is not yet. Uh, the tribulation will impress them with the fear of God. They will decide that the Word of God is correct, and then it will be time for them to come out. And uh, when he said, you are coming with us now, that represents the elect of God. They were chosen, right? I was so grateful. And Rion said, each of God's elect will be called out at the right time by the Father. True. <clears throat> but apparently there was one final race to run, and I had to run with Sarah Marie. And Rion said, meaning princess of darkness. Uh-huh. Matthew 13 and 30 says, let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, gather up first the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Mm -hmm. So they both grew together. They were racing together. Okay. She was wearing a black 1950s dress, in other words, living in darkness, right, with white polka dots on it. And this makes me think of the mind control colors of black and white from MK Ultra, etc. So, of course, many who are stuck in apostasy are under the deception of false doctrines, right? It's delusion. We started the race, and she kept on going off the track. Well, that's natural for them. You know, this disqualifies you when you get off the narrow road. She was distracted, uninterested, lazy, and had a bad attitude. I, on the other hand, was chipper, vibrant, and smiley, ready to get this race behind me and move on. I spent so much time trying to get Sarah Marie back on the track that I seemed to miss my race entirely. Well, that's a story right there, a, a parable in itself. It reminded me of Matthew 25, 1-13. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins who took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were foolish, and five were wise. For the foolish 
when they took their lamps, took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, right? Amen. And a lot of them are not, and they don't believe in it. Now, while the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. But at midnight there is a cry, Behold the bridegroom, come ye forth to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Peradventure there will not be enough for us and you. So you can't take their load upon yourself. They've got to go get filled themselves, right? Peradventure there will not be enough for us and you. Go ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. Hmm. I started running on my own. There you go. Without her, I knew more or less where the finish line was, and I just ran in that direction. I passed so many people, but I knew I was still coming in last. Mm, you get you get distracted with these people that don't want to go on. Just go on. And Rion said, um, The distractions cause us to lose focus of the race set before us and also make us trust in our own strength. Other races were already being run, and uh, the current race was with young men who were almost pro-athletes. I did not want to cross the finish line at the same time as them, because I wanted everyone to see them and not me, lagging behind. Mm. I waited until I knew I could do the best the last leg of the race without interrupting their race, and I sprinted. It was so hard. Sarah Marie appeared and told me to walk. I got so irritated with her and just ran past her. <laughs> okay. Um, Rion said, praise God, run past those distractions. Amen. And those that just want to drag you off on the side, get you off of the road, and so on and so forth. And uh, he gave 1 Corinthians nine twenty four through 27. Know ye not that they that run in a race and run all, but one receiveth the prize? Even so run, that you may attain. And every man that striveth in the games exercises self-control in all things. Now they do it to receive a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, as not uncertainly. So fight I, as not beating the air. But I buffet my body, and I bring it into bondage, lest by any means, after that I have preached to others, I myself should be rejected. So it's discipline, disciplining your body, making it follow your spirit man. Amen. I ran through a tunnel that had bars or pubs on either side with people drinking. Uh, the people watched me and made fun of me. But I didn't care. I finally finished and received a medal. Now I could go with David and Michael. Amen. And Rion said, Second Peter 1 and 10, Wherefore, brethren, give the more diligence to make your calling and election sure, 
For if you do these things, you shall never stumble. Well, amen. And the people drinking on the side. This is the drunkenness that the Bible talks about. It's not necessarily physical drunkenness. It's being uh, irrational. It's being. It's not uh, paying attention to things that count. Um, it's a spiritual drunkenness, you know, uh, on the things of the world and the ways of the world and the distractions of the world. Amen. I received by faith at random Isaiah 22 and 17, in context 22:15 through 25. Thus saith the Lord, uh, the Lord of hosts, Go, get thee unto this treasurer, even to Shebna, who is over the house. And say, What doest thou here, and whom hast thou here, that thou hast hewed thee out here a sepulchre? hewing him out a sepulchre on high, graving a habitation for himself in the rock. You know, a lot of people think that they are in the rock, right? And they're not. And uh, But they believe that's where they are, and they're wrong. And the Lord says, because of corruption, this is not going to happen. The apostate leadership of the house is not qualified. Behold, the Lord, like a strong man, will hurl thee away violently. Yea, he will wrap thee up closely. He will surely wind thee round and round and toss thee like a ball into a large country. There shalt thou die, and there shall be the chariots of thy glory. Thou shame of thy Lord's house, and I will thrust thee from thine office and from thy station shalt thou be pulled down. So God is going to take down the apostate leadership over God's people, over the house of God's people. And it shall come to pass in that day that I will call my servant Eliakim. Well, meaning God will establish or God rises. That Both of those are pretty neat. In other words, uh, the resurrected man-child is what he's talking about. And I say spiritual resurrection, not physical. But And this is a type of the reformer leadership of the man-child ministry. Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, meaning Yah's portion, or Yahweh's portion. And I will clothe him with thy robe, and strengthen him with thy girdle. And I will commit thy government into his hand, and he shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, which is the bride. As you know, David was promoted over the bride, Jerusalem. He ruled over the rest of the people of God through this. And um, to the house of Judah. So he is a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the house of Judah. And the key of the house of David will I lay upon his shoulder. There you go. A confirmation. And he shall open and none shall shut. And he shall shut and none shall open. Because these people will manifest the binding and loosing that Jesus gave to his apostles. And... Um, they will have authority over all the power of the enemy. And I will fasten him as a nail in a sure place, 
and he shall be for a throne of glory to his father's house. There it is, caught up to the throne. And they shall hang upon him all the glory of his father's house, the offspring and the issue, every small vessel, from the cups even to all the flagons. In that day, says the Lord of hosts, shall the nail that was fastened in a sure place give way, and it shall be hewn down and fall, and the burden that was upon it shall be cut off. The burden is cut off, for the Lord has spoken us. Well, I think this is like Christ, uh, who was cut off through crucifixion, and the nails were there too, right? So he's just making a parallel here that the man-child ministry will die and be resurrected. Hence the name Arise, right? He will arise. Okay, well, Father, this is awesome and wonderful what we're seeing here. And it's very soon to be upon us. And a lot of other things are soon to be upon us that the man-child is going to save his people from. Uh, there's going to be a lot of surprises. Um, nations are going to fall. And uh, warfare is going to be um, a constant thing. And especially guerrilla warfare. And great destruction is coming. Great disease is coming. Great terrible things are coming. But just as Jesus came in a time when God's people were under the thumb of the Roman Empire, and there was a lot of sickness among them, so it is today. So it is today. History always repeats. So we know, Father, that you have caused all this to happen to bring many people into the kingdom. It's going to take a shock to uh, get people out of the pit, so to speak, and uh, free them from the idolatries that they have with religion, so to speak, and cause them to once again be disciples of Jesus Christ. They may have started out that way, but were quickly taken into these traps. And so, Lord, we thank you that you're going to open many eyes. You're going to uh, multiply knowledge and wisdom through the man-child. And it's going to be confirmed by signs and wonders. And, of course, the Pharisees don't have any signs and wonders. All they have is a critical spirit. <laughs> All they are is factious. But they have no signs and wonders because they're dead and because God does not confirm their word. And everything they do is self-works. And so it is with the other factions today. Self-works, no power, apostasy, corruption, um, every form of fornication, theft, lying, slander, um, very corrupt we're seeing today. And um, there's a great falling away of these people because they did not love righteousness and truth. And so, Father, we know that you're going to show you're going, your people will be able to judge according to the fruit. And, uh, and they'll discover, too, that they should never have departed from the Word of God and that the people who don't depart from the Word of God are the people that grow up into your image. 
Oh, praise be to God. The Word is important. It is the seed of the Savior sown into the hearts of those that bear fruit, thirty, sixty, and a hundredfold. Praise be to God. Thank you, Father. Well, all right, saints. God bless you and keep you. And um, hope you enjoyed this. I did. And also, uh, Michael's coming, and he's going to share with you. And I ask you, Father, to please bless Michael and anoint him and uh, also all the brethren that are with him. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you, Brother David, and God bless you. <clears throat> Hello, saints. Good to be back with you again. Let's go to the Lord. Father God, I just praise you and I glorify you and I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to share your word with the people here. I ask for your anointing, Father, uh, in this uh, subject matter that I have decided to, or you have put a place in my heart to give, and that's about right thinking. How we think in our mind, Lord. And I thank you for anointing us to get this across to people that it would be a blessing to them and would help them. Thank you, Lord. Glory be to God. Well, that's what I want to talk about is right thinking. And let's start out with Proverbs 23, verse 7. For as he thinks within himself, so is he. How you think is how you are. Now, we're talking manifestly here. We're not talking about faith. The Bible sometimes speaks about faith, and it sometimes speaks clearly to teach us and to help us understand. The Scriptures say that we should walk, talk, and think by faith, which is confessing that we have the mind of Christ. You have the mind of Christ, and that's a confession of faith that we know is going to come to pass because of God's great faithfulness. But let's go ahead and study this so we can understand what we should be doing in our thought process. Some translations in this verse says, As one thinketh in his heart or thinketh in himself. But here's the point. What you are is how you think. This is not the man, the real man. This is passing away. You are what you think. You are your mind. Your mind is you. If you have and you are continuously thinking lustful thoughts, then you're a lustful person. And if you're thinking angry thoughts, then you're an angry person. Whatever you think on is who you are manifestly. The scripture says in Proverbs 23 and 7, For as he thinks within himself, so is he. So what makes a sinner a sinner? Is it just their actions or what's inside of them? Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 3 says, Among whom we also all once lived in the lusts of our flesh, doing the desires of the flesh and of the mind. Now some versions say thoughts there. And were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. So what makes a sinner a sinner is how they think. It's their thoughts. And what makes us what we are is what we think. Now, we're seeking transformation here. We want to be transformed from the way we used to think to the way that Christ wants us to think. And one of our problems is that we want God to do this for us. But sometimes we ignore God's methods, don't we? He's given us methods to bring this to pass in the Scriptures. Now, we might ignore the method and say, God, you just go ahead on transform me. Well, that ain't going to work. 
And that's why he's given us the scriptures. Romans 12 and 2 says, And be not fashioned according to this world, or be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. God has given us an order that he wants us to police our thoughts. He wants us to decide what thoughts are legal and what thoughts are not legal to have. He's given us a way to be transformed here. And if your mind is transformed, it's because your thoughts have changed. And he's telling us that the only way you're going to be transformed is to change your thoughts, to renew your mind, and to think the way that God wants us to think. He wants us to police our thoughts. And too many people don't give much attention to their thoughts. They give a lot more attention to outward things than inward thoughts. Colossians chapter 3, 1 and 2 says, If then ye were raised together with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated on the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above and not on things that are upon the earth. Set your mind on the things that are above. That's where Christ is seated, right? Above, there's no evil thought. They couldn't live with one another in the kingdom of heaven if there were evil thoughts because everybody hears everybody else's thoughts there. The way that people communicate with one another up there is with their thought life. They don't have to speak. It's only in a holy place with holy people that you could get along with people who spoke with their thoughts. What if your thoughts were out loud? Reckon how we'd get along. I expect there'd be a little bit of trouble here, you reckon? And that's why it's holy up there. He wants your thoughts focused on what Christ has given you in heavenly places. We pray this, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's will, his perfect will, is done in heaven. There's peace in the new kingdom of heaven. Because God's will is done there. And what he wants us to set our mind on are the things that we have there. Not the things we have here. And too many times, people's minds are cluttered up with the things of this life. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1, to lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. These things that we have our minds on down here, including our situation and the circumstances around us, they weigh our minds down and they keep us from running the race. God wants us to get our mind on what we have in heavenly places. And what we got there is a pure, holy mind. We've got all of our needs supplied there. There's no sin there. And we're supposed to be, by our prayers, bringing God's kingdom here so that God's will will be done here like it is there. And He wants us to be continually setting our mind he commands us, us to set our mind. 
And this is an order that he's given to us. Set your mind on the things of heaven and not on the things of the earth. God is continually telling us that he wants us to police our mind. And what you take into your mind is what you are. If what your mind thinks is who you are, which is the word we read in Proverbs 23, then you are what you think. You are what you eat, spiritually speaking, because your mind takes input from your senses, which causes you to think. And of course, the devil's got his input too. And what you're going to notice in several of these verses that I'm fixing to share with you is that you are what you eat. Romans 8 and 5 says, For they that are after the flesh mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit the things of the Spirit. Now, let me try to bring that into my language a little bit better than my Bible translation does and see if you agree with me that this is what it says. They that are after the flesh, those that are desiring after the fleshly things or fleshly appetites, they mind the things of the flesh and think thoughts of the flesh. And people who are after fleshly things or fleshly appetites or fleshly lusts think the thoughts of the flesh. And the second part of that says that they who are after the Spirit, those that are after spiritual things and spiritual understanding, they think thoughts of the Spirit. And if you're after the flesh, you're going to think thoughts of the flesh. And if you're after the Spirit, you're going to think thoughts of the Spirit. And he calls it the mind of the flesh and the mind of the Spirit. Some translations say carnally minded. In Romans 8 and 6 it says, For the mind of the flesh is death, but the mind of the Spirit is life and peace. So if you think thoughts that are fleshly, then all you're going to have in you is death and all you're going to be able to share with others is death but the mind or the thoughts of the spirit is life and peace and if you think thoughts that are spiritual then you're going to have within you life for yourself and life for others as well as peace for yourself and peace for people around you you're going to be like Jesus He said, the words I speak unto you are spirit and they are life. You're going to be what you eat. You know, your mind is like a computer. What you want out of it is what you need to sow into it. And what kind of seed you want to grow up is what you best sow into it. Ephesians chapter 5 verses 7 and 8 says, Be not ye therefore partakers with them talking about the sons of disobedience. For ye were once darkness, but are now light in the Lord, and walk as children of light. What did Jesus say about being children of light? He said, if your eye is single, your whole body is going to be full of light. What does that mean? Well, he's talking about the things of the Spirit. If your eye is not double, it's not on both the world and on the kingdom. Because you just be lukewarm if that happens. Ephesians chapter 5 verses 9 through 11 says, For the fruit of the light is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is well-pleasing unto the Lord, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather even reprove them. 
What does that word fellowship mean there? It means a unity of having things in common. We got things in common here. We share the word with one another. We have fellowship over the word. And this is a unity of having things in common. And one of the biggest unities of having things in common, you know what it is? Television set. People all around the world sit in unison watching, feeding themselves on what comes over that television set. They're actually putting into their computer, which is their mind, what's coming over their television set. And that kind of fellowship is something that most of the time is poison coming out of that set. He says, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather even reprove them. You know, what Christians watch on their television, they might not watch if another Christian was in the room. Though what they're viewing, they would not be allowed in their own living room, physically speaking. They are, nonetheless, watching it on their television. And they don't recognize that this is poison. Because they are what they eat. These things are actually going into their minds. Have you ever had a thought or saw something in your past that tormented your mind? Sometimes year after year after year and it just wouldn't go away. Well, it's something that the devil uses against you to bring things back into your remembrance. And that torments your mind to try to draw you aside or try to put lust or jealousy in you. He uses it to make you jealous or lustful or whatever it is. And it's something that you put in there that he can forever use. But on the other hand, you can take the Word of God and put it into your heart and the Lord can forever use that Word in your heart to bless you. And you can put something just the opposite, something negative in there, and the devil can use that forever on you too. So it's best if you don't ever have that kind of a fellowship. And it's not just the television. It can be the radio. It can be the Internet or whatever. It can be a book or music. You know, some Christians just have an excitement addiction. Somehow, life is just not exciting enough for them. So they watch television or the Internet in order to get that excitement, and they get addicted to that excitement. It's as if they don't feel there's enough excitement in their lives, and they have to do that. The television programs are put on by worldly people, and they're doing it for the express purpose of programming you to think the way that they think. And you can watch the news also and see it there as well. Every Christian can see this. The liberal news media is behind a lot of the programming also. And they want to program you gradually to accept their way of thinking through their programming. Well, that's having fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness through your mind. And what goes into your mind is what you are and what you're going to be. Ephesians 5 and verse 12 says, For the things which are done by them in secret, it's a shame even to speak of. When you watch television, it's like you're right in someone's living room or their bedroom watching what's going on. Ephesians chapter 5 verses 13 and 14 says, But all things when they are reproved are made manifest 
by the light. If you can't do something in the light in front of other Christians or Jesus, then it's obviously something that you would be reproved for or at the very least think you would be reproved for. It says, For everything that is made manifest is light. And in verse 14, Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest and arise from the dead, and Christ shall shine upon thee. And what we're talking about is being resurrected from the dead. All of the old way of thinking and doing is death. And resurrection from the dead is changing your mind. It's coming out of that. It's being separated. It's being holy unto the Lord. And that old way of thinking is a subtle trap that causes you to become interested only in the things that go on outside of your inner man and not what goes on inside of your inner man. You know, there's a lot of mockery going on in Christianity. Well, what's mockery? It's pantomiming and making fun of what someone else is doing, but not really meaning it on the inside. You know people that mock somebody? They're putting on a show, but on the inside, that's not where their heart really is. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7 says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. There's a lot of Christian Christian mockery going on. You know why? Because they know how to put on a show on the outside. But on the inside, they're full of dead man's bones. It's easy to put on a Christian show. You know how to talk that Christian talk? You know how to walk that Christian walk? Because you know what Christians want to hear and you know what's acceptable. And we all want to be accepted by our brethren. So you know what's acceptable. So you say what's acceptable. And you act what is acceptable before Christian. But here's the problem. How are you really on the inside? If you're different on the inside, and you're doing other things just to be accepted, then you're mocking God. That's mockery. He said in Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8, Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. For he that sows unto his own flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that sows unto the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap eternal life. If you're going to feed your spiritual man, he's the one that's going to win the battle. And that's what Galatians says is always going on between your flesh and your spirit. Because there's enmity between your flesh and your spirit. There's a war going on. And the one that's going to win is the one that you feed. And if you're always feeding your spirit junk food, like television or the internet or false thoughts or hanging around with people that say things that are contrary to God, the Bible says, Be not deceived. Evil companionships corrupt good morals. And those evil companionships can be those programs that come from the television set into your house. They can come through a book you've read. And you can have evil companionship by what comes across the internet or through the music that you listen to. Again, evil companionships corrupt good morals. If you sow unto your flesh, you're going to reap corruption. 
But if you sow unto the Spirit, you're going to reap eternal life. But he that soweth unto the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap eternal life. You know, in the original manuscripts there, they had no big and little S's. It was just the translator's idea to put a capital S there. And I believe he's talking about your spirit. You can't sow any seed into the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit already has it. He's the one with the seed to sow. What you are sowing the seed into is your spirit. The thing that needs to grow, that needs to be vital, and that needs to be healthy and strong in order to conquer your flesh is your spirit. Your spirit uses the power of the Holy Spirit, and that's true. But your spirit is the one that needs the seed. It's the one that needs the education. The one that needs the Word of God is your spirit. And of the Spirit, you're going to reap eternal life. Eternal life comes from the Holy Spirit through your spirit to you. And death comes exactly the opposite. It comes from the world and the devil through your flesh to you. So your spirit is the one who gives you eternal life. And if you obey your spirit, which is in obedience to the Holy Spirit, your Holy of Holies, that is consumed by the Spirit of God within you, you're going to have eternal life. But what you feed upon is what you're going to be. Second Corinthians 10 and 4 says, The weapon of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they're mighty before God to the casting down of strongholds. What does that scripture say about the weapons of our warfare? Well, for instance, in Ephesians 6, it describes the weapon of our warfare. He said it is the sword of the Spirit, and he said it is the Word of God. The only weapon given as a spiritual armor of God in Ephesians 6 is the sword of the Spirit. And it's with a capital S there again. But that's not right either, because it says the sword of the Spirit. You're supposed to give the sword of the Spirit. In Ephesians 6, how many of you know that the Holy Spirit already knows the Word of God backwards and forwards because He wrote it? It's your spirit that needs a weapon to be able to fight against your flesh and against the devil. You're supposed to give the sword of the Holy Spirit to your spirit. It says, take that sword of the Spirit. And it's not the sword of the flesh. It's not your sword. It's the sword of the Spirit. And it's not a sword that you have a right to wield. You have no right to use the Word of God. It is the spirit man that has the right to use the Word of God. Have you ever heard anybody misuse the Word of God? Well, we all have done it. Back as a religious person, I used to convert people to my religion and found that I wasn't slinging the sword of the Spirit. Rather, it was my flesh that was doing it. The Holy Spirit, through your spirit, uses the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, is the weapon that you give to your spirit that enables him to conquer your enemies. And if you don't give him the sword, he's not able to conquer. And it's by the power of the Holy Spirit, that's true. But he commanded you to take the sword of the Spirit, that's the Word of God, 
The Holy Spirit don't need a weapon. He needs your spirit to have the knowledge of the Word of God in order to conquer your enemies, your flesh and the devil. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 5 says, Casting down imaginations and every high thing that is exalted against the knowledge of God and bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Knowledge that is contrary to God is exalted against the knowledge of God. The thinking that we have in our mind that's contrary to what the Word says is going to get in your way. And it's going to keep you from being transformed. You're going to be transformed by renewing your mind, by changing your mind. The Bible calls it repent. And anything that's contrary to the Word of God is going to get in your way of this transformation process. Why does the Bible emphasize speaking so much? Watch what you speak. Speak according to the Word. Confess your salvation. Again, why, you reckon, does it emphasize speaking so much? What do you do when the Bible warns you to do that? Well, first thing we ought to do is pause and think about what you're going to say and make sure that what you're going to say is in agreement with the Word of God. And you do that automatically. When the Word warns you about what to say and how to confess the Word of God, you change your thinking. So one of the main reasons God gave us this idea of changing the way we speak is because you are automatically going to change the way you think. And again, you made by that to police your thoughts and to say, this thought's not legal and I'm going to throw it out. Or this thought is legal and I can keep it. It causes you to police your thoughts. What if you were saying what you were privately thinking? Think about everybody being able to hear what you privately thought. You reckon it'd be acceptable? Well, I, I, I suppose that it would. a lot of times it wouldn't be acceptable. And that gives you an idea how far we might be off track in our thinking. If it's not acceptable to Christian brothers and sisters, then it surely ain't acceptable to the Lord. Mainly, I want you to realize how far astray you can be in your thinking. Because if it was automatically heard, like in the kingdom of heaven, when they just think and the thought is relayed to you, you would refrain from saying things because you know it would not be acceptable. But you still think them. First Chronicles 28 9 says, And thou, Solomon, my son, know thou the God of thy father, and serve him with a perfect heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands all the imaginations of the thoughts. Well, the Bible says in Psalms 139 and 2, Thou understands my thoughts afar off. He understands all of your thoughts and all of your imagination, and he knows exactly what you're thinking. And if you don't say things because you know it ain't going to be acceptable to men, but you go ahead and think them, just be aware that God already hears it when you're thinking it. You're saying, I am not going to say this because it's not acceptable 
to man. But you're saying it to God. Do you realize you're saying it to God? Those thoughts in your mind are going right straight to the Lord. So what you end up being is somebody who is more interested in the glory of men than in the glory of God. If you're going to think a thought, yet you'll not speak that thought because you don't want to offend people. Rather, you want to be acceptable among people. So you go ahead and you think that thought, but you ain't going to speak that thought. Well, guess what? God hears that thought. Now, understand that I'm not talking about thoughts that you accept. I'm not talking about the little fiery darts that the devil throws in there and you flip them out the other side saying, I don't accept that. That's not you and that's not a sin. But you you are those thoughts that you do accept and God hears those thoughts. He hears them just as when we speak to one another. We're being careful about what we say to one another because we know what's acceptable, don't we? However, sometimes we're not careful about what we're saying to God because God hears it all. He hears our thought life. And not only does He hear it all, He said there's nothing covered that's not going to be revealed. And there's nothing hidden that will not be brought out into the light. Has it ever happened to you that you sometimes think an unacceptable thought for a while and finally... God drags it out right in front of you. It's happened. Think of all the ministries that have been wrecked because that happened. The people were in lust, thinking lustful thoughts. And they thought they could keep them hidden. But the Bible says you can't hide them. For instance, it says in uh, Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 9, But he that perverts his ways shall be known. That's the word of God. And we found this to be true, right? These people that have thought perverted thoughts for years, and all of a sudden, it comes out into the light. And that's so because God's Word has to be fulfilled. God's going to drag it out into the light and going to expose it. Jesus said in Matthew ten twenty six, For there is nothing covered, covered that shall not be revealed, and hid that shall not be known. Well, let's recall the verse that we read earlier in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verses 4 and 5. How we are to take our weapons of our warfare and go conquer those that are in the high places and to cast down the imagination and the strongholds that are in this mind of ours. Think about that as you read Numbers 32 and 20. And Moses said unto them, If you will do this thing, if you will arm yourselves to go before the Lord to the war. So, arm yourselves with the word of the Lord or with the helmet of salvation. Numbers 32 and 21, And every armed man of you will pass over the Jordan before the Lord until he hath driven out his enemies from before him. And that's what we're talking about. Numbers 32 22 and 23. And the land is subdued before the Lord. And then afterward, you shall return and be guiltless towards the Lord and towards Israel. And this land shall be unto you for a possession before the Lord. But if you will not do so, behold, you have sinned against the Lord. And be sure, 
your sin will find you out. If you'll not drive out those enemies, those unacceptable thoughts, and if you just keep on thinking those thoughts that are contrary to the Word of God, he said, be sure your sin will find you out. Folks, there isn't anything hidden that ain't going to be revealed. God has a reason. He's after what you are, not just what you do. If he can change what you are, then he'll change what you do. And in order for him to change what you are, according to Proverbs 23, he has to change your thoughts. God sees the thoughts that you have, those that are wrong and which you accept as sin. For instance, Proverbs 24, 9, the thought of foolishness is sin, and the scoffer is an abomination to men. You have to deal with your thoughts just the way you have to deal with your actions. If you think thoughts that are wrong, you need to confess them to the Lord and ask His forgiveness. Look at Acts chapter 8 and verse 22. Peter was talking to Simon the sorcerer. Simon wanted to buy from Peter the power to lay hands on people so that when he did, they would receive the Holy Spirit. Acts 8 and 22 says, Repent therefore of this thy wickedness, and pray the Lord that perhaps the thought of thy heart shall be forgiven thee. Folks, thins of thought need to be confessed and forsaken, just like any other sin of action. And we need to ask God's forgiveness. He told him to pray that his thoughts would be forgiven. And a lot of times we start on the wrong end of the stick, and we only worry about the external thing. But we need to start where everything starts. That's in our thoughts. Even confession is there, so that you start with thought. Because if you're meditating on what you're going to confess, the first thing you're going to do is change your thought. You're going to say, no, I can't say that, or I shouldn't say that, or I should say this. You're, you change your thought. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 27, 28, You have heard that it was said, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that everyone that looks on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. And some of you are not going to have a problem with that, but then you consider it true. You might as well go ahead and do it because you've already sinned. Have you ever had the thought that if it is sin to merely have a thought, then it's too late to avoid sinning? No. When do you sin against people? When you think of it or when you say it? You sin against people when it turns into action. When do you sin against God? You sin against God when you think it. So when you think of sin and say it, you have sinned three ways. Against God, against man, and you've sinned against yourself. Jesus didn't say that you have sinned in your flesh and body because you have sinned in your heart. What's he say? Proverbs 30 and 32. If thou hast done foolishly in lifting up thyself, or if thou hast thought evil, lay thy hand upon thy mouth. He says, if you have thought evil, lay your hand on your mouth and don't let it come out. So it's not okay to engage in a sin because you've already thought that sin. Thought can bring salvation. We read in Jeremiah 4 and 14, O Jerusalem, wash thy heart from wickedness that thou mayest be saved. How long shall thine evil thoughts lodge within thee? 
So evil thoughts are damnation, and good thoughts are salvation. We're talking again about manifestation here. So your thoughts can save you, and your thoughts can kill you, and they do. Your thoughts can bring judgment on you. Jeremiah 6 and 19, Hear, O earth, behold, I will bring evil upon this people, even the fruit of their thoughts, because they have not hearkened unto my words. And as for my law, they have rejected it. If you hearken unto the Lord's words, then you're not going to think the thoughts that you normally would. You're going to think about his thoughts. And God can bring the fruit of your thoughts upon you as judgment. In fact, he's already done that in a really fantastic way in Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 and 6. And the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. God brought the flood because man's thoughts were evil continually. God judged man with the flood because of their thoughts. Matthew 15 and 18 says, But the things which proceed out of the mouth come forth out of the heart, and they defile the man. The thoughts that you think can and do defile you. And many times the Bible uses the word heart as a man thinketh in his heart to illustrate that your mind is included in your heart. The Bible also says, if your heart condemn you not, and that's to illustrate that your conscience has to be in your heart. There are scriptures that seem to imply that your emotions are involved in your heart also. Your heart is you, your inner man, your mind, your emotions, your conscience. All of these are involved in your heart. Your heart is you, that inner man. Not the one that's seen on the outside, but that's the inner man. He says, the things which proceed out of the mouth come forth out of the heart, and they defile the man. So you have a judgment here that is a natural judgment. Not just the judgment that God brings upon you because of evil thoughts, but a natural judgment because of thinking wrong thoughts. These thoughts bring a curse and they bring death, as stated in Romans 8. And we need to let the Word teach us. You have to spend time in the Word for the Word to teach you how to think. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12 says, For the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing even to the dividing of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, quick to discern the thoughts and intents of the heart. The Word of God is given to us for the very purpose of discerning our thoughts. And if you don't become familiar with the Word of God, you're not going to be able to discern which thoughts are right and which thoughts are wrong. The Word is the sword of the Spirit. It's the power that has been given to your spirit to cut out of your life every imagination that has exalted itself against the Word of God. The thoughts you have, excuse me, that are derived from the Word are going to bring forth fruit from the kingdom of heaven. Any carnal thoughts that you have, that's not going to bring any, any fruit forth for the kingdom of heaven. And they're not going to come to pass. Any carnal desires you have are not going to come to pass. 
Psalms 33, 10, and 11 says, The Lord bringeth the counsel of the nations to naught. He maketh the thoughts of the peoples to be of no effect. The counsel of the Lord standeth fast forever. The thoughts of his heart to all generations. If you want thoughts that will bring forth fruit, thoughts that will bring action and change circumstances around you, then you have to have God's thoughts. God's thoughts are the only ones that count. All other thoughts are going to be brought to naught, going to bring brought to nothing. They're going to be useless, and they're going to be vain. In fact, the Scriptures call them vain thoughts. Ephesians 4 and 17, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you no longer walk as the Gentiles also walk in the vanity of their mind. Vain thoughts, people, are powerless, useless, and they're futile. Your carnal man's thoughts have no power to do what you want done. God says your carnal man's thoughts are going to come to no avail, no effect, and with no power in them. The only power is in the Word of God. There is power in the Word of God because His Word will not come back void. It will accomplish the thing that He sends it to do as the Bible says. And if you put His Word in your mind and let it come out of your mouth, you're going to see powerful things happen. But if you have a vain mind and you think the thoughts that you have been conditioned to think by the television or the Internet and people around you, then you are, as Ephesians 4 and 18 says, being darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardening of their heart. And the life of God is going to come into you when you think God's thoughts. It's not going to come into you if you think worldly thoughts, though. Ephesians four twenty three and 24 says, And that ye be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and put on the new man, that after God hath been created in righteousness and holiness of truth. Putting on the new man is to change your mind, being renewed in the spirit of your mind. God's thoughts, folks, will make you powerful. You have to put enough of God's Word into yourself in order to overcome everything that the world puts into you and to avoid having that vain mind. Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8 says, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate thereon day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then... Thou shalt make thy way prosperous. Then thou shalt have good success. Folks, that ain't a request. It is a command. And it's important for us to get up before work, study the Word of God, and give Him the best part of our day. Psalms chapter 1 and verses 2 and 3 says, But His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on His law does He meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the streams of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose life also does not wither. And whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. You know, we can do all things through Christ. God has given us the grace to do that. 
The world can't do it, but we can because we have Christ. Colossians 3, verses 12 and 13 says, Put on, therefore, as God's elect, holy and beloved, a heart of compassion, kindness, lowliness, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, and forgiving each other. If any man have a complaint against any, even as the Lord forgave you, so also do ye. We've been given the power to do this through the Lord as God's elect. The world doesn't have that power. And if you rely upon your own ability, you're going to fight, fail because you'll struggle to spend time in the Word. Everything else will be dragging you aside. You have to put God first. And you have to put your faith in Him. Philippians 2 and 13 says, For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Anybody that wants to meditate on the Word day and night knows that they have to first have the will to do so. And if you don't have the will, you're going to fail and revert back to your old ways. You have to rely on the ability of the Lord. God wants us to pray to Him and to ask Him for any kind of ability to do things. The Lord wants us to ask Him to give us the desire, the hunger to get in His Word. And you know what? He'll do it. You can't do it yourself, but God can give you the desire through His grace and His unmerited favor. Psalms 119.36 says, Incline my heart unto thy testimonies and not to thy covet- uh, and not to covetousness. Well, why covetousness? Because when people's hearts are focused on the things of this world and they become distracted, that's the waste that prevent them from running the, right, the race. Psalms 119.80 says, Let my heart be perfect in thy statutes, that I be not put to shame. And the reliance here was on the Lord to give him the ability to do what God wanted him to do. He wasn't relying on himself. Psalms 141.4 says, Incline not my heart to any evil thing, to practice deeds of wickedness with man that work iniquity, and let me not eat of their dainties. Now here again, He's relying on the power of the Lord. Psalms 19.14 says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. We should rely upon the power of the Lord to give us the power to say and to think and those things that are acceptable to Him. And the concern here is that we think not about our own lack of ability, but rather to rely on the Lord's ability. Philippians 4 and 13 says, I can do all things in him that strengthens me. So go to the Lord and confess to him your need of his ability and your reliance upon him. And he's pleased with that. People who don't pray believe they can do these things themselves and they always fall, fail. Prayer is an admission of your need for God's help. And God wants this because it's by grace that you have been saved that you have unmerited favor. God wants you to know that you got there because He gave you that ability, not because you yourselves have the ability. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 11, it says, When I was a child, I spake as a child. I felt as a child. I thought as a child. 
Now that I am become a man, I have put away childish things. Becoming mature is putting away the childish things, our old way of speaking, feeling, and thinking. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 12 says, For now we see in a mirror darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know fully, even as also I was fully known. When you mature, you're going to see Christ face to face. You're going to speak as he spoke, and you're going to feel just like he felt, and you're going, then you're going to think just like he thinks. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and 10 But when that which is perfect is come, that which is in part shall be done away. That which is in part in many ways is the way you once thought. And it goes on and says, But we all with unveiled faith, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are transformed into the same image from glory to glory, even as from the Lord the Spirit. We're supposed to accept that we speak as he spoke, and that we feel as he felt, and that we think as he thought. We're supposed to accept that. First Corinthians 2 and 16 says, We have the mind of Christ. Now, that might not sound quite right, but it is the word of faith to confess that we do have the mind of Christ. Being mature is changing and overcoming your thoughts, your speech, your feelings, feelings or your emotions and you have to accept maturity before you see it calling those things that are not as though they were when you look in a mirror and you see Christ that's faith when you look in that mirror and you see Christ by faith the Lord says you're going to be transformed into that same image so you have to confess your reliance upon God to bring it to pass and don't think that you can bring this to pass by relying upon yourself And if you're worried about not being able to be transformed by renewing your mind and by policing your thoughts, it's because you're trusting in yourself. You can't worry about it and expect to trust God. You know, King David had a New Testament relationship with the Lord because he understood that it was by grace. And he understood that if you need power to be what God wants you to be, you must go to God and get it. And God tells us how to get it through prayer. All things whatsoever you pray and ask for, believe that you received them and you shall have them. You have to ask God for the power to speak as he spoke, feel as he felt, and think as he thought. And you have to believe that you have received it. Confess your reliance upon God. Confess your sins of the way you have been thinking to God. Ask his forgiveness, just like we saw in Acts 8, and believe he's answered and forgiven you. Ask him to give you the power to police your thoughts and believe that you have received it. And he'll give you the power to do that. And if you need a desire or hunger for the word, ask God, and he'll give it to you. Glory to God. Glory to God. Father God, I just ask and I pray all of these things that we need, Father, that you would give it to us to help us walk and to think the things that you want us to think. That's the things of the Spirit. And I thank you, Father, that you're going to help us because we can't do it ourselves. We can't do it at all without you. And we praise you and we thank you, Father God, for doing this for us. 
every one of us, in Jesus' mighty name. Well, folks, I'm out of time. God bless you. We'll see you next time. God willing. Can quench my thirsting soul Pure as water made me whole Let your streams of mercy flow Oh, Jesus, I trust in you Though the mountains fall into the sea, though the rivers rise, I still believe. For oh, your mercy stands and your word is true, oh Jesus, I trust in you. And when I face that darkest night, what will be my guiding light? The shining rays of red and white. Jesus, I trust in you. Oh, sacred heart in you I find. Mercy seated for all time. I am yours and you are mine. Oh, Jesus, I trust in you. Though the mountains fall into the sea, though the rivers rise, I still believe. For oh, your mercy stands and your word is true, oh Jesus, I trust in you. Though the mountains fall into the sea, though the rivers rise, I still believe. For oh, your mercy stands and your word is true, oh Jesus. Jesus, I trust in